Saul was, was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately, he, became, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue. He is the Son of God. All who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on, his, on this name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plot. So they were watching the gates day and night intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him into a large basket through an opening in the wall. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Thank you, Lisa. And there's one more verse that I wanted to have us read. That's okay. So I've been, I was talking with all of you, and we were kind of giving each other updates on how, how sick we are or who's sick in our family and all that. And we had three different people. Um, that were going to be involved in our service that were out sick this weekend. And so Lisa just jumped up at the last minute to fill in um, for a few of our scripture readers. But verse 31 is important. We'll come back to it. It says, So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. We are in a series on the book of Acts. We're calling it Blueprint because Acts is really meant to be read and studied kind of like a blueprint. Just like a blueprint shows you how a building was built and constructed and designed, Acts shows us how Jesus built, designed, and constructed the church. This is award season, right? It's Oscars and, and Golden Globes and all that kind of stuff. And in these awards, um, no matter whether it's TV or film, there's a distinction that's made between the lead actors and actresses and supporting actresses and actors. It's important for understanding acts to keep in mind who the lead actor is. That makes all the difference in how we read it and what we learn from it. The lead actor in the book of Acts is God. God the Father who's sovereign, Jesus who is ascended, Acts chapter 1, and the Holy Spirit who's poured out upon the church. God is the main actor. And when we keep that in mind, there's so much for us to learn about what God did, what God is doing, and what it means for us to be the church. For my introduction to my message, specific topic this morning. It's a little bit sensitive, maybe a little bit controversial, but as I thought about it, I said this is an appropriate introduction. So I'm going to go ahead and go for it. That's my disclaimer. 
Every community has to make a decision about its walls. Now, you know why this is controversial. This is a debate we're having in our country right now, is it not? I'm not going to get into the pros and cons of, of a wall on our southern border in our country, but I want to say this. Walls are meant to keep people out. Yes, that's why they exist. And every country, every group, every community has to make a decision about their walls. Every group has to do this. Who gets in to this group and community and who is not allowed in? And that's not easy to make those kinds of decisions. And just sharing personally when it comes to, to our own country and nation, I, I was thinking about this. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be alive if my dad wasn't allowed to come in when he was 19 uh, from India. And many of you in this room have the same story, personally yourselves, um, maybe your parents or grandparents, came to the United States from another country. And that's a big part of our stories, is, is being brought in. Yeah, that, that changed their lives, that changed your life. And all that change, all that opportunity was all because they were brought in, into the United States. And there's a lot of us who are very thankful about that. Here's a connection I want to make about that to this text. Because the message of Christianity, the gospel, is that no one can earn and no one deserves to be in, but everyone is welcomed in by grace through faith in Jesus. This means, then, that the church is to be a community without walls. That's who we are. Everyone, anyone, is not only allowed to come inside, the church is actually called to go outside and bring people into the welcome of God in Christ, into God's community, the church. And let's just say that's not natural. That's not easy for anyone, not even the best churches. But look to the text. This is what Barnabas did for Paul. This is a story about Saul, who was a new Christian, who was treated like an outsider, and he was brought inside by an encourager. We were introduced to Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. He had a nickname. He is called the son of encouragement because he was such an encouraging person. And the fact that Barnabas brought Paul in completely changed his life. It changed the church. And you could say it changed all of history because the power of encouragement. So for our message today, we're going to be looking at how God calls the church to be a community that brings people in. It's essential to who we are and what we do. And specifically, we're going to talk about what that looks like. How do we bring people in? We're going to look at how important it is uh, to be encouragers, the role of encouragement in bringing people in. So that's where we're going. We have four points, so we're going to look at each one of those in turn as we look at this text. The first is why we want to be on the inside. Secondly, why do we keep people on the outside? Why do we do that? Thirdly, how God brings us in. And then lastly, we'll look at some application and how we bring others in. So first, why we want to be on the inside. The first part of this story, as I said, is about somebody who deeply wanted, who desperately needed to be on the inside. That person was Saul, and we know him as the Apostle Paul. Look with me at verses 19 through 25. We're going to walk through uh, the context here. 
Last week, we saw how Saul, who was a Pharisee, a religious leader in Judaism, had set out to Damascus, the city of Damascus, and his goal was to imprison Christians, to threaten them, and maybe even to have them killed. But on his way there, on the road to Damascus, Saul met Jesus, and he was converted. He experienced a dramatic change in his life. He went from persecuting people who followed Jesus as Messiah to proclaiming Jesus as Messiah. He went from making others suffer because they believed in Jesus to suffering for others so that they would come to believe in Jesus. And what does verse 21 say about this? People were looking at this and they were astounded. Wait. Who is this? Is this really the same person? There's no way. It cannot be the same guy. But it was. And verse 22 says, he kept growing stronger. And he was confounding the people in all the synagogues of Damascus by showing and proving to them that the Messiah that they were all looking for was Jesus. He said, I was wrong. I was all wrong. He is the Son of God. Verse 20. Now, verse 23 There's a scene change here. It says, after a little while, this is probably a good little while, like two to three years, as we're trying to see how this fits into the timeline of the Apostle Paul's life. What happened then is that the Jewish leaders in Damascus tried to kill him, and they trapped him in the city. If you can picture this, they had the city all blocked off. They had the gates of the city surrounded, and they were looking to capture him and to kill him. And so what did he do? He got into somebody's house. There they had a lot of uh, units. Their condos were built on the walls. He found somebody who was a Christian, and they said, Paul, you got to get out of here or you're going to die. You will be killed. And so they put him in a basket. He got in the basket. They lowered him outside the city gates, outside the wall, and he escaped. He ran. And now think about what's going through the Apostle Paul's mind. What do I do? I just got... I'm out of my basket now. What what does life look like after this? Where should I go? He was convinced about Jesus. He could not leave Jesus behind. He had a calling from Jesus. He had to fulfill that calling. So he decides to go to the mother church, the place where it all started, the church at Jerusalem. And I bet he thought, surely they'll take me in. Surely they'll help me figure out what to do What am I supposed to do? And in verse 26, then he's out from Damascus. What happens when he gets to Jerusalem? He's shaken up. He's fleeing for his life. And it says, they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Now, we can't skip that by too quickly. We have to feel the weight and the import of that statement. Can you imagine how hard and discouraging it was for the Apostle Paul at this time in his life, with his new faith, to be told by the inner ring, the mother church, not only, don't go around calling yourself an apostle, you're not an apostle, We're, we're the apostles. Not only that, but we don't even believe you are a disciple, we don't even believe you are a Christian. Stay out. He must have been crushed. Is there anything worse than being told, whether it's verbally or non-verbally, you don't belong with us? 
you're not good enough to be a part of our group. We don't want you on this team, on our team. You're not cool enough to be a part of us. Whatever form it comes in, that's crushing. It's absolutely crushing. And before we move on, I want to ask why. Why does that hurt so bad to be told, stay outside the walls, stay out? This Christmas break um, over a Christmas vacation, I'm almost done with something that was on my bucket list. And you might laugh because I, what, what, what it was was I wanted to finish the third book in the C.S. Lewis Space Trilogy. It's called The Hideous Strength, That Hideous Strength. And I'd never read it before. The first two are amazing. It's science fiction. And the whole book is essentially, I found out as I read it, it's a story form of one of C.S. Lewis's most incredible lectures. The lecture is called The Inner Ring. He gave it to students um, who were graduating, going out in the world, and he had something to warn them about. He said, you need to know about the inner ring. The inner ring, what is it? There, he said there are two groups in any type of organization or community or workplace. There's the official group on paper. Here's the org chart. Here's who reports to who. Here's who's a part of this community. And then he said, there's the unofficial group. It's the inner ring. There's always the inside group. The inside group has all the inside jokes. They have nicknames for each other. They have secret things only they do and they know about. And often they are the ones that have the influence and the power in any group. And the thing about the inner ring is it always has walls, ways to let the right people in and to keep the wrong people out. And Lewis says in the, um, in the lecture, he says, one of the strongest forces, one of the strongest motivating factors in human behavior and decisions is that desire to be on the inner ring. I've got a nickname. I know the inside jokes. I know how things really get done around here. I think he's right. I think right now for all of us, probably in this room, there is some group that we want to be on the inside, but we are on the outside looking in. It might be at work. There are, peop there are people who are above you. They are the inner ring in your company or in your workplace. How do I get in with them? It might be the people in your profession who are all the all-stars. Everybody knows their name. Everybody knows who they are. How do I get in with them? It might be a group of friends, a clique. You're on the outside. How do I get on the inside of that group of friends or a group of neighbors? They seem so tight. They're always hanging out. They're always having parties, but we're not invited. How do I get in there? Or it even may have happened in church, and I pray it would never happen here, where you feel like you've been in a church community and you feel like, why do I always feel like I don't belong, like I'm on the outside? What happens when we have this desire to be in, but we can't get in, we don't feel welcome, we don't feel invited. Well, imagine with me, what would have happened if Barnabas never grabbed the Apostle Paul and brought him in and advocated for him? Paul could have, probably two things, he could have branched off on his own and said, forget it, I'm going to go do my thing here because I have a calling. And that could have resulted in great conflict and splintering in the early church. But maybe even more likely what would have happened is Paul might never have become a missionary. 
He might have been a deeply discouraged man who never followed his call, who never wrote an epistle. If this is where the story ended with a discouraged Paul, then the world would not have been the same. And here's the point. Discouraged people discourage, they lose courage, lose boldness, lose confidence when we're discouraged. We feel alone. We think, maybe it's true. I don't belong. I don't fit in. I'm not good enough. And we lose heart. Why do we all want to be on the inside, on the inner ring? It's because every human being needs what Paul needed at this moment in his life, acceptance, belonging, especially when we are discouraged and afraid like he was. That's why we all all want to be on the inside. Let's look at my second point. Why do we keep people on the outside? Since every one of us wants to be on the inside... We all know what it's like. You'd think we'd be very sensitive to this need in others, wouldn't you? But organizations and communities and groups, we tend to excel, sometimes enjoy keeping people out that we don't want in. Some of the worst moments in our lives, probably in your life, is that feeling of being an outsider and Some of the worst moments in our lives, I know in my life, are those moments when we have kept people on the outside through subtle tactics, through outright bullying, and through ostracizing. Why do we do this? I think our text tells us one of the main reasons why we do this. It's there in verse 26. We're still in verse 26. It says, they were all afraid of him. It's fear. It's fear. That causes us to put up walls and keep people on the outside. I think there's a twofold nature to this fear. There's the fear of the insiders. Now, listen, let's get back into this. Paul, did he have any business going to the Jerusalem church? He had no business being there. You can't kill people, arrest people, and threaten people, and then show up and say, I need help, my bad. You know, guys, let me in now. That doesn't happen. It's not that easy. They were thinking, if we let Paul in, what's going to happen to our church? People are always going to be looking at him. Like, what's he going to do? Is he a spy? It'll disrupt our peace. Some people will be the anti-let Paul in group, and they'll say, why do we let him in? He's not changed. It'll splinter our church. It will weaken our mission. That's natural to think that way, but what is that? That's fear. And as fear grows, God is pushed out of the picture. And the principle here applies to all communities and groups and the church. In any community, as fear goes up, walls go up. People that should be welcome are kept outside. But let's not be too harsh because these were legitimate fears. And let's talk about Barnabas. Do you realize Barnabas had to forgive Paul before he could do what he did? This was not easy for Barnabas. His close friends were caused to leave their houses behind, become refugees. These were his friends. You know the heart of Barnabas. This guy, is he's warm-hearted. He loves people. He's encouraging people. And so the fact that Paul did what he did to his friends, to people he loved, that hurt Barnabas deeply. He had to forgive him. So how did Barnabas, the encourager, 
help the church to overcome their fears. Verse 27 says, here's what Barnabas did. He went in and he told the church, Saul has seen the Lord. The Lord has talked to him and he spoke boldly in the name of Jesus. What struck me about this is how God-saturated and centered it was. The Lord, he saw him, the Lord. The Lord talked to him. He's talking about Jesus. What Barnabas is doing is helping them regain perspective, to be able to step back from their fears and ask, maybe God is in this. Let's not let our circumstances and our fears be greater than our God. Who is he? What is he doing? And what can he do? God is greater than our fears. And the church listened and said, you're right. Let's bring him in. This story shows us that fear of outsiders can get into the church. And not just any church. This is the mother church of all churches. This is the OG church. All the apostles were there. People who Jesus personally brought in himself who knew they didn't deserve to be on the inner ring. This church operated with fear. It can happen to any church. And we have to ask, what are we looking at when it comes to our welcome, our willingness to bring people in? Are we looking at our God, who He is, what He is doing, and what He is able to do? There's the fear of the insiders. But also, briefly, there's another aspect to this fear that keeps people on the outside, and it's the fear of the outsider themselves, the people who are trying to get in. When we are on the outside of some inner ring, we don't think we belong, and we're afraid. We're afraid if we try. Say, hey, guys, you want to hang out? You know, can I sit here? Can I be a part of this? We are so afraid of rejection, of not being accepted. In order for people to come inside, both of these fears have to be overcome in a community, in a church. But when this happens, when a church brings people in, what's the result? This is why I had to read verse 31 because it shows us the result. Look at verse 31 again. It's a summary statement in the book of Acts. It says there was peace in the church. The church was strong. It was strengthened. It was a healthy church. They were living in the fear of the Lord worship and awe. They were encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and they were increasing in numbers. And we remember these are not people who are transferring from one church to another. These are people coming to faith in Jesus for the first time. This is a blueprint for a strong and healthy church, a missional church, bringing people in through encouragement. What Barnabas did not only encouraged Paul, do you see? It encouraged and strengthened the whole church. It increased their awe of all that God can do. Why we so long to be on the inside? Why we keep people on the outside? And why we do that? The fear. The fear of being on the outside, the fear of outsiders. How can this really be overcome? Well, how Paul got in shows us how God brings us all in. That's my third point. Paul could have said, when they said, no, we don't believe you, he could have said, haven't you heard of what I've done? Haven't I done enough already to get in? I've been preaching. 
I've been suffering for Jesus. I was in a basket. Did you hear about the basket story? Out of a wall. What else do I need to do to get in? Well, Paul experienced the unfortunate reality of any inner ring, and I think you'll know what I'm talking about, that it's not so much about what you do that gets you in. It's about who you know. Isn't that true? Isn't this how Paul got in? Verse 27. I love this, and I've been med- I was meditating on this all week thinking, what does this mean? Verse 27 says, Paul or Barnabas took him. He took him, and he brought him in. What does that mean? He took him. The word took him, translated, could be take hold, seize by the hand. He took a hold of him. And how I picture it is Paul, dejected and alone somewhere in Jerusalem, hanging out at a Starbucks or something, wondering, what am I going to do? And Barnabas says, Paul, let's go. You're coming with me. Remember, Barnabas was a respected leader in the Jerusalem church. He was on the inside. He was mentioned in Acts chapter 4 as a model of a Christian, of what they should do. And he had the nickname. His real name was Joseph. They said, no, 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 you're not Joseph. You are Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was like an insider just on the outside of the 12 apostles. He was that inside. He had a good reputation, and he risked it all for someone with a horrible reputation. He risked his place on the inside to go and take a hold of Paul on the outside and bring him in. He said, he's with me. How could Barnabas do that? Why would Barnabas do that? He understood the gospel. And what he did is a picture of the gospel. Let me share a story. Um, when, we, when I was in seminary and Amelia and I were married, we, um, we got to go to an Orlando Magic game. For those of you who don't know, they are a professional basketball team. Um, they still exist. And uh, we, we knew someone who had really good tickets. And we didn't know how good they were, so we got there, we got the tickets, we went in and said, well, here's our seat, you know, further and further down. And we were sitting in the third row right behind the owner of the Orlando Magic. Like, wow, this is the best seats I've ever had at any basketball game. We could see everything up close. It was incredible. But the owner was there, and I knew what he looked like, and I, I felt like maybe it was just me, but he kept looking back at us. Like, you don't belong here. How did you get in? And I was just rehearsing in my mind, like, uh, we know Croslin and Grace. You know we, know, we know them. That's why we're here. You know, and that's why we belong here. But the truth is, we couldn't afford it. We didn't earn our place. There in that VIP section of seating, the only reason we were there is because of who we know. I share that because that's what's going on in this text, and that's what's going on in the gospel. You know, Paul didn't deserve to ever get in. He killed people in this church. He drove them from their homes. Barnabas, he deserved his place, his nickname, he earned it. Friends, we don't deserve. We cannot earn our place in God's community with God. But someone else does. Someone else has earned it. And He has brought us in. The gospel is that Jesus takes us. He seizes us. He takes us by the hand and He brings us in to relationship with with the Father.
I have a few bullet points because I don't want us to miss this. This is so important. This is the gospel. Jesus has brought you in to the acceptance, love, and favor of God forever. Everything that, you, that would have kept you out, everything that should have kept you out, He took on Himself. Thus, nothing you can do can take you outside of God's acceptance and love forever. This is what Barnabas understood. This is why Barnabas did what he did. When we believe that, when that grips a hold of our hearts and us as a church, what happens? Encouragement. Encouragement flows from us because we know what it's like to have been brought in from the outside when we didn't deserve it. Instead of fear of others, instead of being afraid of those on the outside, instead of being afraid of people who believe different, live different, think different, there is the fear of the Lord because we are in awe of what God has done for us. There is the encouragement of God Himself, the Holy Spirit. And people who don't believe look at that and go, these people don't look like they belong together, but they love each other. I'd like to know more about that. What's going on? I'm looking at the time. I feel like I need to do this because it's connected, I believe, importantly, and it drives it home. Years later, the Apostle Paul wrote one of his most uh, profound letters, maybe his magnum opus, uh, Romans, the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 15, towards the end of the book, he really gets to the heart of what he's trying to do in the church at Romans, why he's writing the letter. There were people in the church who were acting like they had the inside group and there was the outside group within the church. He calls it the strong and the weak. If you turn to Romans 15, you can follow along with this. But what he says is, there's these insider outside, outsider groups in the church and he drives his point home in Romans 15:7. He says, here's what I want you to know. You need to accept one another just as Christ has accepted you to the glory of God. Just as you've been accepted, accept others. If you just live out that rule, the church will be transformed. There'll be nothing like it in the world. As he's explaining this, he makes sure they understand how it is that they have been welcomed in. And the way he does it is in Romans 15, 3 through 6. He goes back and he quotes a psalm. He says in chapter, or chapter 15, verse 3, Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. He takes us into Psalm 69 in order for us to enter into the experience of how far Jesus went outside in order that we might be brought inside. I encourage you, go back and read Psalm 69. We can't read it. It's a long psalm, but let me summarize it and what it says. Here is the experience of prayer. This is a prayer. This is a poem. This is a song. The psalmist says, I am insulted. My heart is broken because of these insults. They're that bad. Shame has covered my face. I'm full of shame. I am a stranger to my brothers. I am a foreigner to my mother's house. I am a joke to everyone. That's verse 11. Everyone is talking about me. Even the drunk people in the city are making up songs about me to insult me. 
This is the song of of Psalm 69. It is the song of the ultimate outsider. And Paul says it is really fully and only Jesus' song. He felt the pain and the despair of being on the outside of his father's love and his acceptance and his belonging. All the pain of being outside fell on him. Why? So that we wouldn't be discouraged. So that we would be encouraged to run inside. Paul says, I wish I could talk more about this, but he says, this is the message of the whole Bible. Romans 15, 4 through 6, he says, all the scriptures were written to give us endurance and encouragement, all of them. Every single part and word of the Bible is written to encourage people who feel like outsiders, and this is how God brings us in. Jesus became the ultimate outsider so that anyone and everyone could be welcomed in. Until that astonishes us, we will struggle to truly encourage others who are not like us. That is how God, is bring, how God brings us in. Some final thoughts on how we bring others in. We bring others in by becoming encouragers through encouragement. What is encouragement? Let me offer a definition for you. We see this in the life of Barnabas. An encourager is someone who goes out to bring someone else in. It's someone who goes out of their way, out of their comfort zone to bring someone in. Into what? Deeper into God's love and God's will for them in Christ. Anytime we do that in small ways, in big ways, we encourage people. As we already saw, verse 31, encouragement is absolutely necessary for the health of the church and for the mission of the church. A church that is healthy and growing is an encouraging church, a church full of encouragers. Encouragers are marked by at least three things. First, they are astonished. They're astonished that they're in. Earlier in the text, it says people were astounded that Paul was a Christian. How is this guy a Christian? How in the world could this happen? I don't believe him. It's not possible. Well, the gospel tells us that we should be just as astonished that we are in, that we are Christians. You say, I don't deserve to be in. I don't belong in, but I am in. Isn't it crazy? I'm in church. I'm a Christian. It's a joke. How does this happen? How is this possible? If If I can be in here with Jesus, if I can be welcomed by God, surely anyone can. We have that continual astonishment that we are in. It'll move us to encourage others. Anyone can be in. Secondly, there's astonishment. There's listening. You need to listen to those who are not in. You know, first Barnabas had to listen. He pushed past his fear, his discomfort, his suspicion to sit down with someone he thought at the time was the greatest enemy and his greatest opponent. And we know he did this, that he listened to Paul because he shared Paul's story with the apostles. He said, here's what happened. He saw the Lord. Jesus talked to him. He's been doing this in the name of Jesus. I believe him. I believe in him. It's all true. I will vouch for him. So to encourage another person means we have to get outside of ourselves to really listen to their needs, to their story, 
so that we can speak and act in such a way that truly encourages them. There's astonishment, there's listening, and there's persevering. And I want to close with this. And this is the story of Paul and Barnabas. And there's more to the story. So here it goes. Barnabas kept encouraging Paul. Paul was not the easiest person to encourage. Maybe you picked that up from reading his letters. He was intense and focused and passionate. That's why he was so incredible at what he did. Now, Acts 12 through 15 tells the story of how Barnabas and Paul were a team. It was Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul. They did everything together. They went on missionary journeys together. They strengthened churches together. They went all over the Mediterranean world. But then, in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement, and they split ways. And I hate that part of the Bible. Like, no, not Barnabas and Paul out of anyone. Can we just erase that? That never happened. But you could say their disagreement was about encouragement, Because in in Acts 15, 36 through 41, they were getting ready to go on another journey. Barnabas said, let's take Mark with us. And Paul said, no, we are not taking Mark with us because he deserted us the last time we took him along. He's staying home. He can't cut it. But true to his character, Barnabas, he said, I will vouch for Mark. We have to encourage him. He got scared. He bowed out. It wasn't good, but we got to bring him along. We believe in him. Let's do it, Paul. Paul, true to his character, said, no. It's too important. can't risk it. And I've always been bothered by that. But I noticed something new this week. The end of the story, story is in the letter to the Colossians. Paul is in prison. He's writing this letter. And he says at the end of the letter, welcome, Mark. This guy that he had given up on, he tells the church, he says, welcome, Mark. You'll hear all about what happened. So Mark and Paul were restored. But then I noticed this week there's a hint that Paul and Barnabas were restored. Why and how? Because of Barnabas' persevering encouragement. At the end of Colossians, at the end of the letter, he's in prison. He's mentioning these people. He says, these people are a special encouragement to me because they're my fellow Jewish Christians. They understand me. It's Jesus Justice and John Mark. And what he says about John Mark is that he's Barnabas' cousin. Do you see what's happening? Barnabas is encouraging Paul through John Mark, even though Paul had split ways with Barnabas those many years ago. And I think Paul is saying, Barney, you were right. You were right about John Mark. And you encourage me now. I'm suffering in prison. I'm not alone. It's because you never gave up. You kept encouraging. You always encouraged me. True encouragement will always cost us something, but it can keep someone going, someone pressing on, someone enduring. It can change everything for people. So friends, having been welcomed by Jesus, let us welcome others to the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, oh, how you have welcomed us. We didn't deserve it. We never will. We never can. And yet you were willing 
to go outside of everything, your eternal joy, your eternal glory, the love and the delight of your Father so we could be brought in. May we be astonished. May we be humbled. And may you drive the gospel so deeply into our hearts and into this church that we learn what it really means to be encouragers. We so need it. Encourage our hearts this morning and as we come to this table. In Jesus' name, amen.